Welcome once again to Living an Illuminated Life, your guide to the mystic, elevating you to your highest self, and helping heal our planet. And now your host, Psychic Intuitive, James Vitale. Thank you, Vesta. Nice to be here. I think think we have a lot of uh, good group synergy going on in mm-hmm. the St. Augustine area. I, I'm sensing a, a curiosity among a lot of people uh, from the millennials to my generation. How do you see it? <laughs> I hate to say it. There, there's a bit of a vacuum maybe in mm-hmm. the St. Augustine area of real genuine knowledge. And I, I realize that's probably going to come off as a little pompous. But I think there are very few people here in this area who are capable of really teaching or conveying any deeper deeper meanings, deeper connections, or helping guide people really to pull out their own deepest potential. Now, for me, anyway, this all ties back into the concept of reincarnation. Plato said, all learning is actually remembering. I always think that uh, there's a lot of yearnings in that direction that maybe people don't quite understand, but uh, somebody with the right knowledge or information can help kind of suss that out or bring that out of them in a meaningful way for them. It's going to be very personal right. for each individual. You are Rosicrucian trained many, many years in AMORC. Tell us briefly what that is. The Rosicrucian Order AMORC is a mystical school that traces its origins back to ancient Egypt and actually before. They have a time-tested system for bringing out your own innate psychic and spiritual development. And it integrates science with faith, right? Very much so. I mean, one of the, one of the most prominent members is Sir Isaac Newton, Sir Francis Bacon. Oh, yes. Um, lesser well-known, of course, are the modern ones, uh, Walt Disney and uh, Gene Roddenberry. Ah, oh, the Star Trek creator. Right. Although he wasn't in, involved very long, George Lucas oh, my goodness. Was, was a member of the Order for a while. So. so if you watch his movies, maybe he integrates some of the theories the, or principles? There's a lot of Rosicrucian principles integrated in at least the original Star Wars um, movies. Yeah. So it, it's not a secret society. I think people misconstrue what it is or what it's about, mainly because they haven't heard a lot about it. I think with the with these particular members, I think they were more focused on developing their own insights, their own abilities, integrating the principles and not so interested in necessarily boasting about having a membership badge. If you're not doing the personal experiments, if you're not doing the personal development, the meditations, conducting a lot of your own personal experiences, you're really not benefiting from your membership. Well, let me take you in a slightly different direction because uh, I'm just curious. I found some books in my father's study, and one was on Knights of the Templar, and the other was on Freemasonry. And, mm-hmm. and there are two kind of subgroups that are off the mainstream. And unless you have a family member who's, say, a Mason, or you've done a lot of historical research on the Knights of the Templar, you may not know who and what they are. Let's start with Knights of the Templar first. I think they go back to the Crusades. Correct. Yes, they started around the time of the Crusades, mm-hmm. and they were basically the dedicated warrior, almost warrior poets. They took a vow of poverty. They, they had very strict rules for membership, and uh, they were dedicated to basically reclaiming the Holy Land for Christian Europe. Mm-hmm. They clearly knew that their roots went back further, but that was their manifestation during the time of the Crusades, you know, around 1000 AD. Didn't they have something to do with the Holy Grail? The Grail myth seems to have started after the Crusades. Oh. Now, that doesn't mean that the, that the Templars did not find religious relics during the Crusades. I firmly believe they did. One of the most prominent that everybody knows about is the Shroud of Turin. Is that really the Shroud of Christ? 
I've heard a lot of disclaimers that it's not, it's a fake. What is your opinion? I've looked at it extensively, and it is. If you go back and interview any of the scientists who were involved in the original, I believe it was in the late 70s, Rome allowed some scientists to come in and test it. Well, maybe mainstream media reported it in a very slanted way. For instance, there was one point where they took a portion of the fabric and, and carbon tested it back to about the 14th century. I was just going to say, that's what I heard, that it went back to the medieval period and not back to biblical times. Right, except that it was involved in a fire in a church and some of the fabric on the outer edges was burned and so it was repaired. The repairs were done during the 14th century. They didn't know they were testing the repair and not the original article. They had to be very careful, but they it took several samples, but one of them was from the corner that was from the 14th century. And that's the only one that got news coverage. Can't you actually see an imprint, which they claim is the actual body of Christ? The scientists, when they went in, they originally thought that what they were going to look at is they were just going to go in. They were going to see that it was a painting with some you know, paint on the surface, and they were going to immediately be able to discredit it. And, mm-hmm. But um, they could tell it wasn't paint and it wasn't blood as far as they could tell, although there were obviously bloody marks. So the big mystery is How did this image, which if you actually take a look at it, is a three-dimensional image on a two-dimensional surface, Mm -hmm. how did this get imprinted on there? They still don't know. There's no modern method. There's no burning. There's no paint. Some type of energetic process encoded a three-dimensional image onto a two-dimensional surface. We would have trouble reproducing that today. So you were talking about religious relics and the Holy Grail. Most of the mythos about the Holy Grail came about during the 14th century when there was more of a revival of interest in the Crusades Mm -hmm. and um, the life of Christ. Said to be the cup of Christ from which he drank. Right. Well, there's there's two different versions. If you take a look throughout history, there's the cup that was used at the Last Supper or the cup that was used to capture the blood coming from Christ during the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And some people, of course, think it's one and the same. Wow. A lot to think about. So let's talk briefly about the Masons. I have Masons in my own family. I am a third-degree Mason, so I'm a Blue Lodge member. I'm not active at the moment, but yeah, with the uh, 33rd-degree Masons are the are the Scottish Rite Masons, and there are generally two paths. There's the York Rite and the Scottish Rite. Now, yeah. how do the Masons play a part in, in our culture and society? You know, Masons are very much accepted in our culture, I would think. In modern society, luckily. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah. we all know what happens when you're not accepted by society. You know, they have a burning down at the square. Yes, um, the Knights Templar in particular, did experience that. That's where the Friday the 13th legend comes from. King Philip decreed and the Pope decreed that the Knights Templar were an outlaw organization because they had too much money and too much political power. A lot of them were captured and killed. It was October, Friday the 13th in, oh, please forgive me, I believe it's 1407, if I'm not mistaken. How terrible. The Masons in particular, the Freemasons, it's an initiatic organization. It existed long before most people could read or write. So the best way to be able to teach, and this goes all the way back to the ancient mystery schools of ancient Greece, even ancient Egypt, when you're dealing with a society where most people can't read or write, most information is conveyed in more or less hieroglyphic or graphic form, Mm -hmm. which is highly important. The best way to teach some lessons whether they be moral lessons or spiritual lessons, is through ritual, the ritual drama. Folks actually acting out the parts. Like passion plays. Like passion plays. So the Freemasons really understand the value of passion plays. Freemasonry is a way of handing down wisdom, and some of it's mundane and practical, and some of it's more transcendent. Ritual drama part of it 
you absorb it viscerally in your body, you're acting it out and it has a much deeper impact. It is really making an impact. It's not just conveying dry, analytical, academic knowledge to you. It's really installing it in your nervous system because we human beings, we're, of course, we're emotional. And so we're not just all logical. And the, if it doesn't make an emotional impact, you're not really going to absorb the wisdom. And so that's basically the the entire purpose of any ritual drama. It's a brotherhood of sorts. I mean, it's bringing people together with a commonality and belief, uh, purpose. It does bring them all together and bond them in a way that where they would have contact and can pass experience, wisdom, and experience camaraderie with each other where they would not have that opportunity in any other way. The sextant is their uh, symbol with a big G in the middle. Mm-hmm. Is the G for God? Generally speaking, yeah, God. Or some have speculated or some legends say that it, it actually stands for geometry in English as well. God geometrizes the universe. I have another question that I want to, or another topic that I would love to discuss with you just to get your thoughts on, and that is angels. Uh, A lot of people believe in angels. Obviously, they're in the Bible. What are your thoughts on angels? Boy, this is a loaded question. (laughs) Um, Yes, angels obviously exist. Oh, some people have had personal up-close experiences Uh, and encounters with them. As have I. I guess the, the standard definition of an angel is messenger of God or a messenger for God. Right. Sometimes we can't necessarily automatically ascend or communicate directly with heaven. There has to be an intermediary, which is where the entire idea comes in, of a messenger uh, from God. Are, Are they male or female or both or neither? There's a lot of speculation. Some people say angels don't have gender. My personal experience is angels do have gender. I've only had a couple of Mm -hmm. encounters. If you don't mind sharing... Can you get into a little more detail of your own personal experience? What happened? How old were you? Can you tell it to us? Uh, My then wife and I were working up at the YMCA of the Rockies in Colorado. I was regularly attending church. I had just joined the order as well and really, really wanted to make sure that I was on the right path, that I was doing everything as constructively and as purely as I could. I was praying one day and I was in the office kitchen because I was an assistant chef. I simply bowed my head and I had my arms crossed and I was praying. Being psychically sensitive, I'm not entirely unfamiliar with odd sensations in a room. Mm-hmm. At first, what I thought had happened is I thought the, the office door had opened and a person had walked in. You felt a breeze, didn't you? Right, like a, like a change in the atmosphere. And I quickly realized there was this, there was this just transcendent um, power that entered the room. I heard in my mind's ear very clearly and it was not my voice. It was not my thoughts. Okay. I heard two words, keep praying. So I kept praying. Now, did you open your eyes at this point? Did you see anything? No. You just knew it was there. No. When you, when when I was, when I pray, I keep my eyes closed. So it was, it was implied. This being walked in and it was at that point I realized, of course, that I'm not dealing with a person. Somebody didn't just walk in on me. This is not a person. And it was male. I mean, I could definitely get a very, very strong, I got a very strong male energy. Okay. This being walked over to me and put his hands on top of my head, and he started praying himself. But he was praying in a different language. Probably the tongues? What he was praying, I didn't find this out till later, I did some research later, but he was praying in a language that I would, I I don't think human beings can reproduce. It is simply something beyond our ability to articulate it, it's beyond us. It was a power language of some kind, and the room in some ways stopped and froze but there was also shaking. It was vibrational, and it was, and it was this powerful, emotionally moving type of blessing. And um, that, that's all I knew. Right. 
How long did it last, do you I th- think? I think it lasted a minute, but I can't, I, I don't know, I lost track of time. So I felt his hands, they were spirit hands, for lack of a better term, came off my head. And he said, when, whenever you're ready, you can finish. And he, he turned and he walked actually through the wall. I knew it was a blessing of some kind. Sure. And it was so overpowering and, and I just didn't even know what to do. And what are you thinking? I, I prayed for maybe 30 seconds more or a minute myself and I ended my prayer and I got up and I, I just didn't even know what to do with myself. So when I went to go do research about it later, that was when I first came across the idea of the Adamic language, the language that was spoken by Adam and Eve before the fall. The idea that, that humanity, well, and it's implied in the Bible, of course, that we had a, a much more powerful special state before the fall, and we spoke a language mm-hmm. that was power creation. We, we had a far elevated status. And we in, lost that, Until obviously. we went against, against God. We fell in vibrational order and our powers became limited. We lost it. We lost our ability to communicate in that way. There's no way when you fall out of that transcendent state that you're not going to view it as a punishment. Hmm. I don't necessarily think it was as much of a punishment as maybe humanity thought it was. Reflecting back, because I think I believe this happened many years ago to you, yes? Yes. How did this change you intrinsically, that you had this visitation? And why do you think it happened when it did? My, my personal view of any type of enlightenment, psychic or spiritual experience that is of a powerful nature is as soon as we are ready, God angels, whatever other entities you, you tend to view, they are ready and willing to help you along your way. But you, you hadn't asked for it. You, you know, you didn't say, please send me an angel. I'd like to be touched by an angel, not the TV show. <laughs> um, you were praying for an angel per se, no. were you not? I mean, and, and all of a sudden he came to you. And, and I've read tales of people that have been in, you know, car crashes or they're mourning the loss of a loved one. And then the angels come and they're either salvation or their comfort. But you can feel their presence. You can feel right. the, the radiation of the goodness. I think those experiences, I, I, when we're interacting with the spirit world in general, if we're striving for the greater good, I think we're going to get confirmations along the way. They'll mm-hmm. let us know that we're on the right track. Now, do I believe that there was really a blessing that I got from that angelic being? Yes, I do. I would. I mean, people say the, these are life-altering experiences. You interact with people all the time. You use your gift of being a psychic intuitive. And I, I would like to say something about that and in, in that some people have this concept that being psychic is like working with the other side. You know, have you encountered that negativity in what you do that people think, any kind of psychic power is taking away from God instead of actually being a gift from God. Right. And this and, and I have encountered that. And this kind of goes back to the, the human potential issue we were talking about before. Psychic development is on our path and part of our path necessary to get back home. It's simply a part of us becoming more like our heavenly parents. They're a part of us. They're not going away. They're definitely innate functions. As far as people being ignorant, we can point our fingers at, let's say, Christian fundamentalists, mm-hmm. predominant uh, members here still in the United States. And we can blame them and say, well, it's because of their dogmatic teachings. But to be honest with you, I think the root of this goes back much further because you can encounter just as much resistance, if not more, from the scientific academic field. It's not a question of, is it religion? Is it science? Is it some other outside institution's influence on this person? What it really comes down to, rudimentary, with each individual, is fear. They're afraid. Look at the outrage over the Harry Potter books. And J.K. Rowling is a brilliant author. I've read all of the books. 
but some people were saying that it was glorifying witches and wizards Mm -hmm. and that that was wrong and it was taking away the focus from God. And there was protests and outrage. And of course, they continue to sell even to this day because it's a wonderful story she made up about this magical world. Thoughts on that? J.K. Rowling is more liberal than I am, generally speaking. But I think if you if you read her story, and I've never like psychically tapped in or done any remote viewing about this or anything, so I'm speaking from just what I've read. If you take a look at her account of how she came across the Harry Potter stories, that was inspired. Mm-hmm. I would even take it a step further and say that was inspired by God. We have a tendency, we human beings, we want to say my version of religion is the right one. And I really think we're like five-year-olds in a room trying to understand what mom and dad are doing Mm -hmm. and thinking we've got the right take and we understand their motivations on what they're doing and how to approach it and how to solve adult problems as a five-year-old. From what I can tell, God is the God of us all, both male and female aspects, and anything less than a fully universal approach is limiting divinity. Let's go back to Yeshua in the Bible, Jesus. People, they study the letters in the New Testament. A lot of times they will disregard the Old Testament, and they will study the letters of Paul to the Christians. And uh, there's no doubt in my view, and I have remote viewed Paul on a few occasions. So there's absolutely no doubt that he was inspired. But to think that because we've got one short clip in society 2,000 years ago of a few divinely inspired people trying to convey to us simple human beings some truths about God, that, that there's nothing else, there's no other more universal way. All of the religions started out trying to, to bring about an understanding of universal truths. To put order into the chaos that is our world and for man to believe in something higher than himself. You know, you have to have faith. Otherwise, what do you have? And it goes back to agricultural societies. Look, if you're going to plant, if you're going to farm, you have to have faith that those seeds are going to grow. Everything we do is motivated by faith. If there is, <laughs> I know there's a God, but I was going to say, if there's really a God, then you're talking about one that is so far beyond our limited ability to understand or grasp that it's really presumptuous for us to say we can take one snapshot, you know, in time and say, well, Buddha had it right. Muhammad had it right. Moses had it right. Jesus had it right. We're looking at a very large progression of universal religious truths. And it's we human beings who want to sit here and divide it up and say, no, my particular version is correct and you're wrong. Do you take a look at Harry Potter? There's an entire mythos there. There's an entire truth Truths about the universe, about friendship, about love, about these uh, transcendental powers that we sometimes come in contact with, and they're conveyed over and over. I think the woman is incredibly inspired in that way. And imaginative, too. Imaginative, and I think she did humanity a great service. You heard it here first. Any concluding thoughts? I think there's a push for some of us and a desire to really understand our intuitive abilities and to bring them to bear. And I think that that's a good instinct to embrace. Because I don't think we have forever to get it right. It's, it's repeated over and over again in the Rosicrucian monographs. And it's defer not until the evening what the morning may accomplish. So don't procrastinate. Be in the moment. Seize the day. Uh, and speaking of that, if someone needs to get a hold of you, ask a question, ask about a session. They can either go to ancientcitypsychic.com. They can find my Facebook page, which is Ancient City Psychic. They can also find me on Instagram. Same handle. Wonderful. So all through the socials, you're expanding your reach. We love that. Well, this has been your guide to the mystic, elevating you to your highest self and helping heal our planet. Living an Illuminated Life with James Vitale. We'll see you next time. Until then, may your path always be clear and brilliantly illuminated.
Bright blessings. Thank you.